Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Wow, does it feel good to sing that or what? What a powerful song. What a great message. So glad to see you today. In a moment, we're going to get into the message again, the conclusion of our series, Make Great Decisions. But first, I I want to solicit your help in something. Um, Many of you, most of you, all of you should have, who use uh, email, received an email from this week soliciting your input about how we're doing. Inside your bulletin today on the back of the sermon note page that you're getting out because you obviously want to have copious notes on, on the message today, it says, how are we doing? We have an internet link that you can go to, and it's just a quick, it's a survey. I'm not going to say a quick survey because it will take a little bit of thought, but it won't take hours and hours and hours. But you know, there's an expression that, that sometimes, you know, we're answering questions that people aren't asking. You think about that, man. Sometimes we're, we're answering questions that people aren't even asking. And, and so oftentimes, we as a staff who work very hard, we truly do, to try to provide for you great spiritual enrichment opportunities, so we could be missing the mark completely because we are thinking this is what you, you're looking for, or what you want. So we need your feedback periodically. And so this is an opportunity for you to tell us how we're doing. Uh, and, and the survey self-explanatory. You can go online. Now, if you don't do computers at all, we have a written copy, and after the service, you can go to the west hallway, over to my left and your right, and there'll be some helpers there. In fact, if you'd like to stay right after church and take the survey, we have a few computers set up to where you can sit down and take it right here uh, before you leave today. But we're going to do this uh, through December 15th. They'll give everyone a chance, and I'll be sending an email out again. In the email, you can just click on the site, and it'll take you right there, and you can take the survey, and I'm asking you to please do that. Now, there's a place to put your name on it, and I'm asking you also to put your name on it. Uh, now, if you just can't, you got some things you just can't put your name with, then just take the survey anonymously. But we would rather that you do so that we can come back and we can, like, if you put down, well, well, I hate Pastor Pete. Well, I would love to have an opportunity to sit down and talk with you about that, you know, and so that we can develop a better reputation. And so if you would please uh, identify yourself, but if you won't take it, uh, with identification, then we'd rather you take it anonymously so we can hear your input. Also, on the, uh, in the back, and I'm sure they talked about this in announcements, but I want to give it a special plug, and that's the chair ministry. You know, we have uh, folks that come on Saturday morning usually, I think it's about 8 o'clock in the morning, and they set up the chairs for the service. And, and if we could get more people to do that, it would really alleviate the two, three guys that are doing it every single week. Now, now, they're storing up treasure in heaven, but you don't want to miss on storing up treasure in heaven. You know, if we had 50 guys who would come once a month, just think about it, once a month at 8 o'clock, and I'll tell you what, they get that thing knocked out and Dan, what, about an hour at the most, hour and 15 minutes, uh, 30 minutes. Yeah, just think, get up, get, grab a cup of coffee, come here, spend 30 minutes in, in a really special day, an hour, and you can store up treasure in heaven. So I want you to consider, we can use men and women. Uh, so there's a, in between the, the glass doors on the outside, there's chairs stacked up. And that's why they stacked up like that. They're not there because we didn't know what we're doing. And in between is a little table and a sign up for chair ministry. And I would love for you to go back there, sign up, put your name and your telephone number. Eric will give you a call or someone from the ministry will give you a call. And, and they'll talk to you about what's required and give you all the information. But everyone should be serving somewhere here in the church. There's a great opportunity for somebody to serve. And it, it's really uh, a very time uh, easy kind of responsibility and uh, not really labor intensive either. It's a good time. I, I've come out and set up the chairs with the guys, and, and, and that, it, it's a fun time. It really is. So let me encourage you to do that. 
All right, now, having done my commercials, I want to get back to what we came here to do after we've praised the Lord, and that is to learn from his word. If you're a guest today, we're in the last week of a, of a series that we've called Make Great Decisions. You know, God wants to help us to make the important decisions in our life so that we don't complicate our life. Because as we discovered, I have the freedom to make my own choices, but I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences. The way I decide is going to start dominoes falling in a certain direction. And if I make a bad decision, those dominoes can come back to haunt me. And all of us have had that experience. All of us have made in life some really terrible choices, and we know the sting of those choices. Other times, we've made great decisions, and we know the joy and the victory and the exuberance that comes from making a good decision. So what we're learning is a biblical system that we can use so that our decisions more often than not will be positive decisions and have a positive impact on our lives. Now, real quick, we've talked about where we all start as believers. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a God lover, the place to start in any important decision is the conformity test. And we ask ourselves, okay, what is God saying about this? What has God said? What is he saying? What has God's will or his, his, his word already revealed about this particular topic, this issue? And the Bible talks about a lot of things, and God has given us some very specific guidelines on things. And so we can go to the Bible and say, okay, well, God said this, and so there's really not a choice here. I just need to obey God. Or what is the Holy Spirit saying now? See, God is active in our lives, and the Spirit of God lives in us who have trusted Christ, and that Spirit will speak to us. He'll guide us and, and give us a sense of direction. Am I conforming to godly counsel? We should never make a really important decision by ourselves. We, we, should, we should bring in some godly counselors because Scripture says that in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And then are we conforming to the provisions that God has given us? Are we trying to knock down all kinds of doors and trying to manipulate circumstances and people? That's a sign that we're going in the wrong direction. Now, the last two weeks, we looked at some don'ts of great decision-making. And we, we looked at things like don't rush it. You know, it's not about how fast you make a decision. It's about how informed you are in making your decision. Don't ignore your gut. Why? Again, for Christ followers like us, our gut is the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God speaking to us. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore that godly advice that you get from the, that multitude of counselors. And don't let others decide for you. Ultimately, you have to make the decision. Then we talked about don't get nearsighted. Don't look at what's before you, what, either what you want or what the circumstances seem to dictate at this moment in time. Ask yourself the question, if I go this direction, how is that likely to play out in the long run? If I go this direction, how is that likely to play out in the long run? Then we said don't outwit yourself. Again, if we're trying to clever our way into making a decision or trying to manipulate too many circumstances, we're probably already on thin ice. Then don't sabotage yourself and don't corner yourself in. And that last point is where we often leave ourselves if we have a poor decision-making process. We end up cornering ourselves in. And again, if we make enough bad decisions in life, we're really going to corner ourselves in. We're going to limit our opportunities for future choices and future opportunities because of the decisions we've made in the past. Now, I want to conclude today, this series, with the do's of great decision-making. We've talked about starting with the conformity test, and that's where we start. We said, be careful that you don't do this with the don'ts. Now, what do we do? All right, let's look at some of the do's. Now, when we conclude this series today, 
we've given you a, a formula to use, but it's a formula that needs to be honed and, and it can be increased. It's not covering every single aspect, but it will definitely get you started in a safe direction. So what are some things that we should do? All right, first of all, do keep the main thing the main thing. Now, great decision makers single out the most important consideration of this decision and make that consideration the driving factor in reaching the ultimate conclusion. Great biblical example of violating this was, again, Moses' decision not to enter the promised land. Remember in Numbers 13, 1 and 2, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, where God had brought the, the Hebrews out of uh, 430 years of, of captivity in, in Egypt. He brought them across the Red Sea. He miraculously supplied their needs. And now they're right at the entrance to Canaan, right at the entrance to the promised land. And God says in Numbers chapter 13, 1 and 2, he said, send some men in to explore the land which I am giving the Israelites. Now notice in that, there's no room for any decision of whether or not you're going into the land. He just says, go explore the land. Now, they sent 12 spies in. Remember, 10 of them came back saying, oh, we can't do it. The people are too strong. The city's walls are too high and all that. Two of them came back. And they said, no, you can't believe what this land's like. This land, grapes are like this big and it's flowing with milk and honey. This is an amazing opportunity. Let's go. See, the two came back with the report that God had intended all of them to come back with, was saying, hey, you ought to see the land God's about to give us. But 10 of them came back, and they began spreading their negativity around. And, and what happened? They, they ended up having to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years. Now, the reason was they didn't make the main thing the main thing. The main thing wasn't to decide whether or not to go into the land. The main thing was to explore the land and come back with a report that would excite the people about what God was about to do. Now, see, we violate this all the time, and don't do that. Do keep the main thing the main thing. For example, in order to advance my career, I need to get my MBA. I know that, okay? If, if I want to go to the next level, if I want more opportunity, I need an MBA. Well, well, you know, arguably one of the greatest business schools is the Harvard School of Business, and so that's where I should get my MBA. But, man, Harvard's really expensive. I can't afford to go to Harvard, so I guess I won't get my MBA. See, is that making the main thing the main thing? No. The main thing is get the degree. It's not as important where you get the degree. Now, that's a consideration because depending on the institution, some come with, with more prestige than others and will help you get a better job than others. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is get the degree. So keep the main thing the main thing. Or we want to get out of debt so we can buy a house. Okay, but down the line, all of a sudden, some great deal you see on TV from, from some furniture store. You, you, you can get a whole house of furniture and no interest for five years. Oh, I'm going to go get that furniture. We can get a whole house. See, is that keeping the main thing the main thing? No, because you still have to pay that, right? Even if you don't have interest for five years, you still have to make payments. And you've left keeping the main thing the main thing. And now you're retarding your ultimate dream, your ultimate goal. Or maybe some friends will come and say, hey, let's, let's take a road trip. Come on, let's, let's, let's all go down to Cancun together. And, and you might say, yeah, hey, all our friends are going. But is that the main thing? 
What are you really shooting at, see? So you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Or how about this one? It's violated all the time because people don't keep the main thing the main thing. I want to I find a, a godly spouse so I can build a godly family. Single people all the time are thinking that. Well, are you keeping the main thing the main thing? Listen, if you're hanging out down at South Beach and all the clubs and all the bars and all that kind of stuff like that, are you going to find a godly spouse there? Odds are no. You know? Uh, yeah, you, 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 can't find, you can't go fishing for a saltwater fish in a freshwater lake. You've got to keep the th- main thing the main thing. You've got to say, okay, where am I most likely to find that godly woman, that godly man? Keep the main thing the main thing, and don't let outside things distract you. Don't let less important decisions or less important considerations knock you off track of making that main decision that you're trying to make. The applications are countless. James 1.8 says, he says he's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Before that's talking about people who are just swayed this way and swayed that way with doctrine or life or anything else, and you're just kind of doing this and kind of wandering aimlessly through life. He said, don't do that. See, if you're double-minded, if you don't keep the main thing, the main thing, then you're going to get spun off in all kinds of, of directions that will cause you to miss what you ultimately really are trying to achieve. Second, do be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Be truthful about yourself. Love what it says in Romans 12, 3. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with what? Sober judgment. In other words, take an honest evaluation of who you really are. And you've got to plug that into the decision-making process. So here's what you do. Identify within yourself the three most unflattering characteristics about, uh, characteristics about yourself and plug them into the decision-making process. Say, okay, what does that look like? All right, let's say I really think, and I know, you know, basically I'm lazy. You know, I will work. I'm not, I'm not a drudge, you know, but, but basically my, my natural personality is I'm a little bit of lazy. And some people are that way. Well, you know, don't start your own business. If you're trying to decide to start your own business or not, don't do it. Let me warn you. Anybody who started a business knows how much time and energy it takes to get the business going. If you're a person who's basically lazy and you really don't like to spend a lot of hours at work and, and, and your leisure time is much more important, that's not for you. You are not an entrepreneur. And it's okay because not all of us are. God wired us different ways. And, and, and for some of us, for me, if I go out and start a business, I can almost guarantee you what's going to happen. I'm just not an entrepreneur. But that doesn't mean I don't have other strengths and abilities. It's like I'm not a detailed person. I just really don't like details, and details frustrate me. Well, you know, don't go to school to become a brain surgeon. You know, duh, don't go to school to become an accountant. Don't choose some vocation, or don't, don't choose some direction that requires great attention to detail. Again, maybe it's starting a business, whatever it is. Be careful. If you're not a detail person, and get help, even if you're going to do something, that needs attention to detail because you're kind of 
a person that walks around and you, you just notice the big things and not the little things. I'm not a detail person. You know, where Costco is now out in Pembroke Pines used to be a Kmart. Well, they completely leveled that Kmart down to the ground before they built the Costco. And one day my wife and I are, are, are driving through that plaza back there. And, and I said, where'd the Kmart go? And she looked at me, she said, you are kidding me. You are kidding me. That's been gone for two months. Really? You know? I mean, just some of us aren't detail people. So when we have to make a decision that, that, that demands detail, then, then we need to invite a detail person into that process with us because they're going to see the things we're missing. Or, or something like, I'm a couch potato. I just like to sit at home, watch movies. And, well, don't marry a socialite. Don't marry a person who loves to be out all the time and they don't want to be home. And, they want to be, and I see it happen over and over again. Someone, you know, marries some person that they're just not satisfied. They're not around 100 people and and out there doing something all the time. The last thing they want to do is sit at home and watch TV, sit at home and watch a movie, sit at home and read a book. And and then people get in these relationships and it gets all tossed around and everything just turns out so negative for them because they didn't keep the main thing the main thing and they weren't true about themselves. In an example, if you're afraid of water, don't join the Navy Okay, you know, you got to make these connections, see? So be true to yourself. Recognize those things about yourself. And sometimes we may need to ask other people because sometimes we, we do delude ourselves. And we do think that we're somebody we're not. And maybe you need help and say, okay, now I want you to be honest with me. Go to a counselor, you know, somebody you really love and trust and say, okay, let, let, help me identify the three most unflattering things about my, my, my personality, my characteristics, so that I can plug them into my decision-making process. See, again, Scripture says that we ought to be sober about who we are. And, and that's okay. Remember, none of us have it all. None of us are perfect. I'm not, you're not, none of us are. God wired us all differently. We all have a set of skills, and we all have a set of challenges and weaknesses. And, and that's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed about that. What we want to do is make sure that we are conscious of what our strengths are and what our challenges are so we don't allow our challenges to overshadow our strengths in our decision-making process in many other areas of life also. Three, do clarify your real objective or objectives. Clarify what those really are. Proverbs 13.6 says, Every prudent man acts out of knowledge but a fool exposes his folly. And of course, the second is caused by the first in this verse. In other words, if you're not acting out of of knowledge, then what you're you're really doing is you're exposing foolishness because you want to act out of knowledge instead. What does this look like? Well, you you, want to get out of your job. You, You want to quit your job. Well, why do you want to quit your job? Why? Well, I'm just unhappy. Well, that's not a good enough reason. Why are you unhappy in your job? Why why do you want to to get out? Is it because you just hate your boss and you can't get along with your boss? Well, maybe. Or is it that this just isn't the right work for you and you're finding yourself continually falling behind and you're not able to keep up the pace and there's all kinds of stress on you? Well, okay, that might be a reason. But objectify. Why? You might ask yourself then, too, if you're looking for a new job, I am looking for a job that, then start listing the that's. That's closer to home because I'm tired of fighting traffic. I don't have to spend as much gas money. I want a job that that, that is more people-oriented. 
I want a job. And begin to list and clarify your objectives. Because as you clarify what you really don't like or what you are looking for, that will help you to make the ultimate decision. Because if what you're looking at isn't meeting those objectives, then, you know, right off the bat, it's easy to make that decision. This isn't it. Let's look at maybe we we want to buy a new car. Well, why do we want a new car? Well, is it because the car you're driving is falling apart and it's got 250,000 miles on it and and it's not worth fixing anymore? Okay, well, okay, there's a reason. Quantify objectively, or is it just... That, hey, I, I just like a new car every three years. I like to be driving something new and, and exciting and all that. Okay, well, put that down. Why? Okay, then you might ask that question. If you decide you really do need a car, then you might ask the question, then I want a car that, then you start talking about the features you most need in that car. See, why is this so important? Because you need to go to that car dealership knowing exactly what you want. Because the car dealership salesperson is naturally going to try to entice you to buy at a higher level than you want. And so you go in there, you're not really sure, and you, don't, you haven't really done your homework, and, and you haven't clarified what the objectives of your car is. What kind of car do you really need? What features in a car do you need? They say, oh, this one over here, it's got Cirrus radio, and this one's got, you know, warmer, you know, seat warmer seats on both the driver and, and the passenger side. Really, I need seat warmers in South Florida, you know? Clarify what you want in a car. Man, I want a car that gets good gas mileage. Right now, we're getting this little relief in, in gas, and it's down now, but I know it's going back up, and I, I want a car that, that, that will minimize how often I have to fill that tank, and, and, and I, I want a car that, that, that has these safety features in it, see? You clarify that. So therefore, when you really go looking to buy a car, you're way ahead of the game, and you're not going to be as in, in, in a dangerous situation to allow that salesperson to manipulate you with fancy things that sound good and maybe would be nice to have, but you don't need those. How large a payment can you really afford? Figure out that in your budget. So you've got to clarify that objective. And then my advice is, and what I try to follow is, is identify what the maximum payment I can really safely make is And then I try to find a car under that. See, but if you go there, then you're not going to get talked into something that's going to put you in financial jeopardy down the line. Why? Because you've taken time to get knowledge. And that shows you to be a wise person. When we don't do that, it exposes our foolishness. Do your research then. Do that research. Proverbs 13, 16. Every prudent man, again, acts out of knowledge. Do your research. Okay, you've clarified your objectives now. Now, research. Let's go back to that car, you know. Now, I'm going to research, okay. Now, what cars provide the features that I'm looking for? What cars provide the very best gas mileage? What cars uh, ha- have a, uh, uh, a navigator system built in? Because I, I need that because I'm constantly on, on the road traveling. I'm a salesperson, and i got to find new dre- addresses all the time. That would be an important consideration. Whatever they are, do your research. 
If you're looking for a new job and you've applied at a company, do your research. That's one of the greatest things you can do before you get an interview is get online and research that company. Know what that company's all about. If you can, find out about who the CEO is and find about who the officers are, the managers. Find as much as you can out about that company. When you go in there, you know who you're talking to. You know what that company's value are. You know what that company's history is, what their reputation is. And now you can present yourself in a much more favorable position because you've done your research. You've done your homework. Don't go in there blind. Don't go in there shooting from the hip. Do exaggerate all possible consequences. Now, I didn't say consider. I said exaggerate all possible consequences. How many times have we made a decision thinking this in our mind? Well, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, how bad can it be? It can be real bad. It can be real damaging. Because what we tend to do is we minimize the consequences. Now, we don't necessarily ignore that there could be consequences, but what we do is we minimize those in our mind. Well, you know, like we said last week, yeah, yeah, I may have to drive down to Coral Gables every, every day from, you know, from Coral Springs, but uh, how bad can that be? Yeah, or, you know, you know I, I, yeah, I might be spending $100 more on a car payment than I, I really wanted to pay, but, you know, I mean, how bad can that be? It's just $100. You have no idea what's going to happen in your life. You have no idea what other life circumstances are going to enter into the equation. So you, you've got to exaggerate all the possible consequences of that decision. Because then you enter into a safety zone of not violating those consequences. Really important decision. Exaggerate. Moral decisions, exaggerate the consequences of that. Relationship decisions, exaggerate the consequences. Yeah, I know he's not a believer, but I'll change him. Exaggerate the consequences if you can't change him. Say, well, what would I do that? Well, we still love each other and we'll be okay. Maybe. And, and very possibly, but what happens when children come? See, that's where the rub really starts in many relationships, many families, is because a believing spouse can say, well, you do what you want to do, but these kids, they're going to be raised to know Jesus Christ. Well, the other spouses, they don't agree. Oh, kids ought to have a choice, and we can't force our kids to do that. And boy, that's the battle start, right? Buying a car, can a job, you know, okay, I'll take this job. How bad can it be? Be careful of that kind of thinking. Exaggerate. Think about the consequences and then exaggerate how negative that's going to be in your experience. Proverbs 14, 15. A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives careful thought to the steps. Because anytime you knock over a domino by making a decision, what's going to happen? You're going to set a series in action. There's a series of things that are going to play out. And you've got to think about where they're falling, where they're going to go, what's going to happen. Think it out. Exaggerate those consequences. Then, do investigate all possible alternatives. Investigate other options. I, I just got to get out of this job. I, 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 I just can't. I, I, I've got to get out of it. I, I just hate my boss. 
Well, is it your immediate supervisor? And maybe there's a possibility you can get transferred to a different division at your workplace. See, there's another alternative to that. Well, there's always alternatives to any decision. And what you want to do is you want to investigate and try to identify every possible alternative that there is so that you give yourself a plethora of options instead of what? Cornering yourself in. Remember we said that? Don't corner yourself in. Consider all the op- all options. Now finally, do make a decision. At some point, you've got to pull the trigger. Now, now, what we're trying to do is prevent two things. Number one is pulling the trigger too quick. And some people do that, you know, it's ready, fire. Ready, fire, ready, fire. Then there's other folks, it's ready, aim, 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 aim. Never pull the trigger. You gotta pull the trigger. Many people really mess up their lives because they never make the decision. They allow themselves to get paralyzed in the process and oh, oh I can't do that. And they, they over-exaggerate consequences. They over-exaggerate alternatives. They overthink it. What you've got to do is use a sound process that's biblically based, and that's what we've learned in this, this series. But ultimately, you've got to make the decision, see? Think about this. Even a bad decision is better than making no decision. Why? Because... We learn from the bad decisions. Now, we don't want to make a series, we don't want to make making bad decisions a life characteristic because that's going to complicate our lives. But when we make a decision and we make it soundly and it turns out to be a bad decision, and that will happen even if you use a biblical process, that will occasionally happen, what's going to happen? We're going to learn from it. But if we, if we keep going ready, aim, 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 we're getting nowhere except frustrated. Now, here is something that those of us who might have a hard time making decisions, and we tend to be one of those ready, aim, 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 kind of people. Here's how to break that pattern. Get used to making a lot of small decisions, decisions that really don't have extenuating consequences. And just get used to making a lot of decisions and using the process to make decisions that aren't life-changing, life-altering. And the more you use the process to make little decisions, then the more confident you become in your decision-making process. And then you're going to be able to translate that to making the more important decisions. So if you're one of those folks that you're kind of paralyzed in in a decision-making process right now, well, let me encourage you to make make a series of little ones. Break whatever you're trying to do down into smaller steps and then try to make decisions in a smaller step. Okay, well, I don't know where I'm going here yet, but the next thing I can do is this. I I, I hate my job. I want to get a new job. Okay, well, maybe the first decision is let's update my resume. Then, Then let me talk to some people who might be willing to serve as as my references and talk to them. See, take that little step, take that little step, take that little step. Make a series of small decisions that will ultimately bring you to the place where you have confidence pulling the trigger on the big decision. Do, though, make a decision. 
So those are some of the fundamentals of how we can make great decisions, all biblically centered, biblically balanced, and it's a formula to use. Now, again, is that everything you need to know about making decisions? No. There's still other things, but it's a starting place. And it's a place that will bring you into a much safer position in life than many of you are living now or have lived your entire lives. Great decision makers, again, are great decision makers. Why? Because they care about making great decisions. They're just not shooting from the hip. They're just not acting impulsively. They're taking the time to work the process so that the likely outcome of the decision will be a positive decision. Great decision makers use a systematic approach. We've given you that. First step is what? For a believer, the conformity test. What has God said? What is God saying? Second, the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't rush into it, don't, don't, and get all those in line. And then look at the do's and make sure you're doing it. There's a systematic approach right there. You start with the conformity test. Then be careful that you get into your mind. Don't do this. Be careful of this. Watch out for this. And then, okay, here's some things I do need to actively bring into the process. The greatest decision makers, the greatest ones, invite God into the process. They invite God. They really do invite God in, by taking the conformity test. They really do allow his word to impact their decisions and use his word. All of that combined will help you to be a great decision maker. Romans 8.31 says this, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now think about that. If we invite God into the decision-making process, we know this to be true, that God is for us. And if God is for us and we have a heightened level of expectation that we have invited God into this process, then we know God is going to help us to have a positive outcome because he's for us and not against us. So when he's in the center of anything in our life, we can have the satisfaction of knowing that even when it turns out bad, what's the Bible say? All things work to good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God will somehow even bring good out of it. But if we're going out there just shooting off the hip and just doing this and then listening to all kinds, then, and it goes bad, don't blame God. Don't say, God, where were you? Why'd you let this happen? Well, God says, I didn't let anything happen. You made all the decisions. You didn't invite me into the process. Make great decisions. Let's bow our heads. There's a formula you can use and it'll really, really help you. Now, in our services, if you're a guest, we, we never close out a service without giving a guest an opportunity to consider the most important decision every human being makes. And that decision is what they do with Jesus Christ. Not what they do with God and what they do with religion, but what they do with Jesus. Well, why is that so important? Because Jesus is the only way back to God. Now, I know that's not popular in our tolerant culture that we live in, and culture wants you to believe that, well, you know, if, you, if you're sincere, then whatever faith path you follow is going to get you there. 
And if your heart is really there, God's going to see where your heart is. Now, that all sounds good. And even from a human perspective, it sounds logical. But it's not biblically true. See, God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. God himself took our place on the cross. And therefore, because God did that, and that was the only way that we, we could have forgiveness of our sins, then God rightfully, justfully, says, okay, here's what I'm asking from you in exchange for the eternal forgiveness of your sins. It's not by how good of a person we are. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one boasts. I wonder if you're here today, this morning, and, and there's some hesitancy in your response to this question. Where are you going to spend eternity? There's, a, there's a, a degree of hesitancy and say, well, you know, I hope it's heaven. Well, or I don't really know, then God has brought you here today to settle that issue in your life. He's brought you here today to understand everything he requires for your forgiveness and the promise that you'll spend eternity with him. Well, no one's looking around this morning. Maybe you're here and you're not absolutely sure where you're going to spend eternity. But you'd like to know that. Well, no one's looking around. Would you just slip up your hand just so I know if that need is here this morning so I can pray for you? Anyone here like that? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that as believers... Your word gives us guidance for everything in life, including making decisions. And Father, I, as we've presented your word, I, I pray that now we won't just make this, again, an academic exercise, but that we'll make it a spiritual exercise, that we'll apply these things to our lives. Some people are making important decisions right now. Father, I pray that they'll use what we've learned in this series to help them navigate through all the issues that that are involved in this decision and all the consequences that may come from it. Lord, I do pray that if there's a man or a woman here today, especially who has never trusted Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior, and they really have hesitancy in, in being able to answer that question, where are you going to spend eternity? Father, don't leave, let them leave the campus this morning. Help them come to me after the service or one of our ushers and deacons, elders at the door, someone at one of the tables in the lobby. And Father, we can privately get with them very sensitively, and show them how they can know they leave this campus a changed person, an eternally secure person. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, if you're one of those people that you kind of felt like you should have raised your hand, but you were afraid to do that, don't leave the campus. Come and see me, or you can stop by one of the booths and get this little booklet that says, you can be sure. And it's a very small book, but it tells you everything that God's word tells us about forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. Our ushers are going to come forward and we're going to receive our morning offering this morning. And let me encourage you to give. Now next week we're having, this is, this is kind of that, that one time a year where, where we really gather together and I share with you the state of the church address, kind of. 
from a biblical perspective, we're still going to be looking at God's Word. But come back, and it's always an exciting time, but a challenging time. And I promise it'll be both of those as we come back next week. Then we enter into the Christmas season. Can you believe that? Oh, my goodness. We have Thanksgiving a week from this Thursday. And we're going to have a wonderful praise and worship service that Thanksgiving weekend. Come, and we're just going to give thanks to the Lord. And then we enter into the Christmas season already. And before we blink, it's going to be 2015. Where did that come from, huh? Wow. So, exciting things coming. Be part of that. Father, we give you now our gifts. And God, we give them from hearts of gratitude and hearts of expectation that you're going to use these, from human eyes, insignificant gifts. You're going to use them in a profound way to reach men, women, boys, and girls for Jesus Christ. And so, God, we cheerfully give to you now our tithes, our offerings, our mission gifts. Use them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.